Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hey everyone, so technically, while this episode could be self-contained, we highly recommend that you go back and listen to last week's episode, titled Elizabeth Short, The Black Dahlia, because that episode is sort of a precursor and a lead-in into this case. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. It was so intense. And, and, you know, and finally we went out, but you just knew with every being of your body that somebody died down here in this basement. It was, it was the eeriest feeling I had ever had in my entire life just know that like when I was having that outer body experience like you feel like snuff films were done there like you just feel like all kind of insanely evil shit was happening in that house hey guys welcome to the first degree the true crime podcast that you might end up on my name is Jack Manick I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen and we want to dive right into this episode, so we're going to go right into the day. All right. The day is National Shower with a Friend Day. That's the one. That's the one you should have picked. Yes. There are um, lots of days on this day. There are. That you that you could have gone for. There's World Read Aloud Day, and you wh- li- which I do enjoy. You do. Reading, reading aloud. I as, don't. As a kid, I did like doing that. I class. don't enjoy reading aloud, which is what we do for this podcast, because I fuck up so much. That we have to cut out. <laughs> what else do we have? Nutella Day. Yeah, we have Nutella Day. And then we have um, National Weather Person's Day. I like a weather person. And it's also Disaster Day, too, which kind of... Well, that seems appropriate. ...jives with Weather Person's Day because like, right. they're just like, yes, I'm the star now. A natural mm-hmm. disaster day. Yeah. All right. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. We ended last week's episode with a mystery, which we almost never do here on The First Degree. A woman's body was found in a Los Angeles vacant lot, cut in half, her face mutilated. 
The murder of Elizabeth Short, which soon became known as the Black Dahlia murder. But is it really a mystery? We introduce you to Rasha and Yvette. They introduce us to their great-grandfather, George Hodel. George could very well be the man responsible for one of the biggest murder mysteries in American history. And today's case takes us back to December 15th of 1949. Mule Train by Frankie Lane was the number one song in the country. Samson and Delilah and Walt Disney's The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad were in the theaters. And on this particular morning at the L.A. Superior Court in East Los Angeles, a high-profile trial was about to commence. And the headline of the day was, Doctor Goes to Trial Accused by Daughter. That was the headline in the L.A. Times. And this was a trial of Dr. George Hodel. And he had been indicted on morals charges. What does that mean? He stood accused of incest and the rape of his 14-year-old daughter, Tamar at a party in front of multiple witnesses. Preliminary details about the charges were confusing and painted a bizarre picture. Right. So the LA Times reported that these shocking accusations came to light after Tamar ran away from home. When the police finally found her at a friend's house and asked her why she left and why she'd run away, she told them that, quote, her life was too depressing. They probed her as to why. And that's when she started to speak about what she'd been subjected to. Parties at the home of George Hodel were well known. When the police went to the home of George Hodel to question him, they learned that he was a photography enthusiast. And they seized many questionable photographs that appeared to depict underage subjects, some photos even depicting Tamar. So George Hodel was taken to the Hollywood jail. And according to the L.A. Times, when he was questioned about what Tamar was accusing him of, he said that he was, quote, merely delving into the mystery of love and the universe, and that the actual acts that took place were unclear to him like a dream. And he ended this with, quote, I can't tell if I'm being hypnotized or if I'm hypnotizing someone. He was then released on bail. On the day of the trial in the courtroom of Superior Court Judge Thomas Ambrose, Hodel's daughter Tamar took the stand. and She said that on a night in the summer of 1949, she got home from a date and saw her father... And a 22-year-old woman named Barbara Sherman, naked, in a bedroom. And she said her father was hypnotizing the woman. And there were two other adults present. It was a woman named Connie Turin and a man, Fred Sexton, who was a friend of George's. And a famous artist. And Tamar said she entered the bedroom and soon Barbara helped her take her clothes off. She then said she had intimate relations with Sexton. Then she said her father forced her to engage in a sex act with Barbara, and then finally, her father raped her himself. And here are first degrees, Yvette and Rasha, on their relationship with her grandmother, Tamar. I think I was probably six or seven when we first went to Hawaii to meet Tamar. So when I first met Tamar, I was at the airport, and she was she's beautiful. You know, she's... She's well-spoken. She tells amazing stories. She's always dressed immaculately. Her her makeup is beautiful. Um, you would think she had a ton of money. So she's the only grandmother I've ever remembered. But as she got older, she got super hippie. Like, so she'd wear like sarongs and again, still. Well, she always, she was always very hippie-ish, oh, she? but yeah. she was very stylish. Yeah, gorgeous. Like, Blonde hair, blue eyes, like, uh, I'm, I 
I've been told that I look a lot like her, but she, to describe her, like walking into a room, like she, you could meet her and she could convince you to pay her rent. Like that's how like manipulative and you wouldn't even know that you pulled out your checkbook. She just, yeah. Master, master manipulator. Well, that kind of makes sense because if you're a beauty, I mean, you get into how do I survive? Like, right. What can yeah. I do she was to survive? in constant survival mode. Yeah, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. She yeah. never worked a day in her life. Never because I had this conversation with her and I said, well, Tamara, did you, you know, did you ever work? She's like, no. Mm-mm. So who exactly was George Hill Hodel? He was born in 1907 in Los Angeles, and as a boy, he was considered somewhat of a boy genius with an IQ of 186 and was also a musical prodigy. He graduated from South Pasadena High School at 15 and enrolled in Caltech. There, he happened to sleep with the wife of a professor. She got pregnant, and he wanted to stay with her. She said no, and he left school after a year. He then enrolled at Berkeley, and then he went to UCSF for med school, and then he became a physician. He married a model named Dorothy Anthony in the 1930s. They had a daughter. They called her Tamar. Then George Hodel moved to L.A. and got a job, a job where he would learn a lot of secrets. He ran the L.A. County Social Hygiene Bureau, which meant that he was the man in charge of fighting venereal disease in L.A. He also had a clinic that treated VD cases, and it's been said that this job offered him the inside scoop on high society, namely all of their sexual secrets. George soon started hanging out with L.A.'s elite actors and artists, and he would entertain them at hedonistic parties at his house. And his house was referred to as the Souden House, or the Franklin House, as it's also called. And it's truly a work of art, and it really is a leading character in this story. The home sits, to this day, at 5121 Franklin Avenue, which is just a few miles from where we're sitting. It was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright and constructed in 1926. And it resembles a Mayan fortress. And L.A.'s Curb did an excellent job at describing the essence of the home. They said, quote, Its Mayan revival style has been called cultic, brooding, a gothic pile out of Vathek, like Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Jaws House. And it's it's called the Jaws House because it kind of looks like the shark kind of like rising out of the water. The home includes a stage, a secret room, a central courtyard, and ornamented concrete blocks. George loved to entertain. He loved to collect art. And he was a huge photography enthusiast. And he decorated the home with his collection and private photography work. Then in 1940, George Hodel married Dorothy Houston, a second Dorothy, who was the former wife of actor John Houston. And they had three children, including a son named Steve Hodel. In this house where they lived, George lived with his first wife and their child, along with his second wife and their children. So this is sort of a very modern family for the 1940s, though some have speculated that it was basically polygamy. And when Tamara was on the stand during the trial, she said that the rape at the party wasn't the first time that she had been assaulted by her father. When she was 11, Hodel forced her to give him oral sex. And she said that one of her father's artist friends, the famous photographer that you might have heard of named Man Ray, took nude photos of her. Man Ray had moved to L.A. in 1940 and became fast friends with Hodel. And according to George's son, Steve, George Hodel was enamored with Man Ray and the surrealist art movement. Tamar also described becoming pregnant, but later had an abortion. 
and her stepmother told her that George was dangerous. And she said, you need to get out. So she ran away. And George sat at the defense's table surrounded by the powerful lawyers he'd hired to go up against his 14-year-old daughter. And they were relentless against Tamar. Here's an exchange. Lawyer, isn't it a fact that you told your father you had intercourse with 40 boys in the month you had been in Hollywood? Didn't you tell him you were pregnant and that you didn't know who the father would be of your child? Tamar, when I found out I was pregnant, I wanted to call my mother and he didn't want me to. Lawyer, had you ever had intercourse before? Tamar, yes, with a rumor. I fancied myself in love with him. She means someone renting a room in Georgia Hodel's house. Hodel's lawyer asked the judge for a psychiatric evaluation of Tamar, and the court agreed. And the New York Daily News remarked about Tamar's, quote, astonishing composure in a story which they titled, quote, Blonde 14 Diagrams Hollywood Sex Orgy. And even with all the badgering, Tamar remained steady and stuck to her story. But other people didn't. One of the women who had been in the room when the rape occurred, 22-year-old Barbara Sherman, recanted her statement. And then the other, Connie Taran, stuck to her story and swore to seeing the rape. But Hodel's lawyers twisted her testimony to the jury, and they said that she was in fact hypnotized by Hodel as she was watching him hypnotize Barbara, and thus she couldn't be trusted. Tamar's own mother took the stand and said that a psychiatrist in San Francisco had previously said that her daughter was a pathological liar. And that was used by the defense in order to get that uh, psychiatric evaluation. And her grandmother also said that she was a liar. So at the end of December, the arguments were done and the case went to the jury, which had eight women and four men. And on December 23rd, after six hours of deliberation, George Hodel was found innocent of the charges. After his acquittal, he gave an interview to Newsweek, and he said of his daughter, quote, we're on a level of pure evil here. You couldn't invent a story this bizarre. This abuse and failure and justice deeply impacted Tamar. And as we all know, cycles of abuse can continue. You know, um... Yeah. And she repeated, you know, the abuse that happened to her. Yeah. And we honestly didn't know the extent of it until we did Root of Evil. Like, you know, our mom kind of protected us a lot from that. Well, 100%. What did did you learn? (laughs) I learned that Tamar repeated the abuse to, we call her F2, our aunt. And, you know, she repeated it to all of the boys except love. Side note, when Rasha refers to love, she's talking about one of her uncles. Their names were Peace love and joy all three were tamara's sons she was a very very interesting yeah she was i mean she was a complicated woman and you know rasha and i have different views of tamar you know because i i believe tamar was truly a victim like she just had she had no choice she could not get that that whole lifestyle out of her head you know she never got past that um and the lifestyle was her being abused exactly her being being, exactly In her, mind, that was constru- in her mind, like that was like a relationship. Well, and Raja, what's your opinion then? So for me and, you know, and I totally see where Yvette's coming from. But for me, like I truly believe that no matter whether you're abused or beaten up or, you know, raped or different things, like you can choose to repeat that again or not repeat that. You can choose the light over the dark. Tamar always chose the dark. 
What happened during the trial was an incredible injustice, reflecting an unfortunate trend that persists to this day. But there was one silver lining. While Tamar was on the stand, as George's lawyers attempted to discredit her, they questioned her about things she'd said in the past about a gruesome murder in which a woman was cut in half, her face and private parts mutilated, and dumped naked in a Los Angeles field. The lawyer said, quote, Isn't it a fact that you told a rumor in your mother's home in San Francisco that you knew your father had killed the Black Dahlia? It was a question that was meant to make Tamar look crazy, and she answered no. But the line of inquiry, coupled with accusations of Hodel's perversions, got the police wondering whether Hodel could actually have been the killer. Because remember, Elizabeth Short was bisected in such a precise manner that police believed the killer had some type of medical background. And here was a doctor having sex parties and being accused of raping his own daughter. So two months after the trial, in a move that would be completely illegal now, the LAPD entered Hodel's home when he wasn't there and placed listening devices all around the house. And they listened to everything he said from February 15th to March 27th in 1950. And what they heard was alarming. Based on transcripts that were discovered decades later, on one particular day, the microphones picked up a woman crying, attempting to call the operator. At 8.25 p.m., a woman screamed, and then a woman screamed again. And I'm noting that the woman was not heard before this scream. Then George Hodel, quote, realized there was nothing I could do, put a pillow over her head and cover her with a blanket, get a taxi, expired 12.59. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out killed her. Then they heard what sounded like digging and then maybe a piece of metal striking a pipe. They also caught Hodel himself saying, quote, supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They can't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. And the secretary he's talking about was Ruth Spaulding. She died of an overdose in 1945. And former LAPD detective Steve Hodel, who is George's son, believes that his father killed Spaulding after she discovered fraud in his practice. Right. So Ruth Spaulding was George Hodel's secretary at the First Street Clinic. And she died suddenly in May of 1945. The cause of death was ruled to be due to an overdose of barbiturates. But for whatever reason, the facts were suspicious enough to draw attention from the LAPD. They learned that Ruth and George Hodel were having an affair. And their relationship had recently ended, something Ruth was not happy about. George Hodel had actually been present when she died, and then he actually burned a number of her belongings in a fire, which only heightened their suspicion of him. Regardless of all of this, the Ruth Spaulding case was dropped due to lack of evidence. However, son of George Hodel, Steve Hodel, says documents were later found that indicated that Ruth Spaulding had been planning to blackmail George Hodel about his habit of intentionally misdiagnosing patients and billing them for laboratory tests they didn't need, as well as medical treatments and unnecessary prescriptions and procedures. But this case was never reopened, despite the discovery of these documents that were later found. So there's no denying the type of man that George Hodel is. But did he murder Elizabeth Short? Let's go over the evidence. We have the transcripts of rather explicit recordings that were taken when George Hodel's house was bugged. Then as far as physical evidence, at the scene where Elizabeth Short's body was found, detectives found a cement bag with a drop of blood on it. And George Hodel's son, Steve, who was an LAPD detective, homicide detective, he played a large role in revealing his father as a prime suspect. And he originally set out to clear his father as a suspect in the case, 
but he ended up uncovering evidence to the contrary. So that cement bag, Steve ran with that. So the cement bag that was found at the scene matched up with something that happened at the house. He learned that a shipment of cement bags had been delivered to his father's house in Franklin Avenue on the very same day that Elizabeth Short disappeared. Also, George Hodel drove a 1936 dark-colored Packard, which was similar to the car that was noticed by a neighbor lingering for four minutes at the curb where Elizabeth Short's body was found that morning. And Steve Hodel believes that his father had an affair with Elizabeth Short before killing her. He believes the two met because Elizabeth had been one of his patients. And Steve pieced these theories together from interviews, news clips, and stories from his family members. Steve got his hands on copies of the letters that the killer sent to newspapers after the Black Dahlia murder. Steve hired a handwriting expert to compare against samples of George Hodel's writing, and they determined that it was probable that George Hodel handwrote this killer's note. And Steve said in his book, quote, When I saw the handwriting, I thought, oh shit, he did kill her. And the first clue Steve ever found that suggested that his dad could be the killer was a black and white photo that his dad took of a woman who looked a lot like Elizabeth Short. And while many descendants of George Hodel also believe that he murdered Elizabeth Short, not everyone believes every piece of evidence that Steve presents in his book. So I, um, he is obviously was a guest on Root of Evil. Um, when I met him, um, it was, it's very weird. So for me, Steve was always on a mission to tell his story, which, you know, he's the son of George Hodel. He's Tamar's half brother. And he, you know, discovered all this evidence and I will, I will never put that past him. Like he did, he's done the work. Right. And he, he was a, a former, you know, LAPD, LA homicide. Yes. Yeah. Detective. detective. And he believes that George, you know, was the killer of Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, which I, I do believe that George killed her. Uh, when Steve's information sort of came out, what were some of the things that you, you saw from his investigation that you said, oh, wow. Yeah, that really makes sense. From the book, um, I never bought the photo. The photo, I was like, ah, let's I talk about. Know. Let's talk about the photo for a second. Yeah. So the photo with, you know, he said, or Steve, you know, f- had George's just, a, I think the only thing he oh, had the little black was the, little, the photo album. You know, that to me didn't look like Elizabeth Short. Right. That's, that's yeah. the only thing. But I mean. Uh, Can you explain this photo album? So the photo album, if I remember correctly, um, because George basically ordered his, his widow to, you know, get rid of all of his things. But the only thing that. Steve was given was this tiny little photo album and there was a photo of a woman that looked similar to to Elizabeth Short um, in his possession and so Steve had that and he's like oh that kind of looks like Elizabeth you know Short and that's a stretch for me no so so what about the things that you know Black Dolly Avenger comes out in 2002 what about the things that that have recently come out that you've said oh wow yeah this really well like even like the so the just the receipts the receipts like, of the uh, concrete yeah. that was you know bought and delivered uh, you know to the Southern house that was a big thing for me that was a like huge thing and like, yeah. like crazy stuff that like um well, because Tamar always told us that George was responsible for killing Ruth Spaulding, who was George's mm-hmm. secretary. You know, secretary. And then there was this other thing about the housekeeper that George was also sleeping with that if you listen to it, he was saying you need to like get rid of get rid of it or get rid of her. There's like these transcripts, yeah. you know, and the place that the body was 
well, we think is the body that was ended up like where he wanted it put. Our one of our producers from Root of Evil, Lloyd Lockridge, Lloyd figured out that that place that that whatever it doesn't say body, but wherever Which the body was supposed to um, go there. This is supposed to be Ruth? the housekeeper's body, oh, the housekeeper. not Ruth. Okay. Um, was in Black Dahlia Canyon, like just little things, like because George, from what we've learned and heard, was like there was never a misstep. There's also the matter of the surrealist art and its potential role in this murder. So many, including Steve Hodell, believe that the arrangement of Elizabeth Short's dismembered body was a bizarre homage to his father's close friend, the surrealist photographer and artist, Man Ray. In Black Jelly Avenger, Steve notes that he believes that the severing and positioning of Elizabeth Short's torso and the cutting of her mouth were nods to two of Man Ray's most famous works from the previous decade titled Minotaur and Observatory Time, The Lovers. So there were certain parts of the Black Dahlia that kind of reflected some surrealistic art or specifically some Man Ray. So the Black Dahlia, Elizabeth Short's body. The way that she was dissected. And the way that her her mouth mouth was was dissected. Like it looked and the way her arms were left. She literally was posed to look like a very famous Man Ray photograph and it was like george's you know like his he idolized his, yeah Ray. exactly so this was like his homage like he had arrived you know by this is so doing his own up. fucked it's up art so crazy yeah because i think like being a doctor was kind of like beneath him you know what i mean like he really wanted to be this like crazy amazing artist do you think it was almost a a, a one up nature of it? Just like oh, yeah. okay, you know what? I'm you're you're so respected as being this artist. I'm just this doctor, but look what I'm going to do. I'm going to yeah, be yeah. this kind 100%. of like hom- homicidal artist. Or they did it together. Well, Man Ray and George, um, very very good, very friends. good friends. Man Ray took multiple family, family photos. photos of the hotels, um, and he took photos, nude photos of our grandmother Tamar when she was young. Um, and they kind of hung out, like they hung out with Henry Miller and um, John Houston. John Houston and like John and George were had both been married to the same woman during different times. Like it was, <laughs> and surrealism, from what I understand, it's kind of like the man is like in charge, and women are nothing but sexual Subservient, objects. Yeah, yeah, and it's and Man Ray's photographs and his art were like that. That's what it's women are just there for strictly pleasure like pleasure and torture yeah and this surrealist art component is just one more piece of the puzzle there are many many pieces of evidence here there is george hodell's medical background and remember detectives have long suspected that only a doctor could have cut up elizabeth short so neatly then there's the sexual depravity george hodell was not shy about his sexual proclivities and through sex parties with some of the most powerful people in L.A. Then there's the surrealism tie-in and the cement bags being found at the scene and being delivered to Hodel's house on the day that Elizabeth Short vanished. And then, of course, there's the wiretap where he said, supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia, they can't prove it now. So Hodel obviously looks like an excellent suspect. So what the hell happened? Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. So despite all this evidence, the DA abruptly stopped investigating George Hodel in 1950. But why? So we're going to call on another thing that, that he was recorded saying at his house while it was being wiretapped and monitored by the LAPD. And this potentially could shed light on why any case against George Hodel had been essentially dropped. So he said one evening, quote, this is the best payoff I've seen between law enforcement agencies. I'd like to get a connection made in the DA's office. So it could be inferred by this transcript that Hodel had been involved in a law enforcement payoff before. And let's not forget that the LAPD in the late 40s and the early 50s was a really dirty department. And it was habitually rocked by scandal. And then there's another theory on why the LAPD left George Hodel alone. And this is something we touched on a little bit earlier. So Steve Hodel believes not only that his dad killed Elizabeth Short and his secretary, Ruth, but he believes that his dad may have committed a dozen or so other unsolved murders. And the LAPD, for whatever reason, decided to look the other way and cover it up at George Hodel's command. Again, why? So remember, we told you that George Hodel was a specialist in venereal diseases. And Steve claims that he was the go-to doctor for the rich and powerful. And the belief is that George Hodel blackmailed many men because he kept these files that were so embarrassing and possibly life-ruining 
which made him sort of untouchable by those in power. And the sort of things he was doing was threatening to out closeted homosexual men, you know, threatening to out men to their wives who had STDs, uh, things of that nature, which back then, this is, you know, post sort of morality clause era where they were trying to clean up Hollywood and it would have been a really bad thing to have any of this stuff out. So he had a lot of leverage on people is what the theory is here. So even though George Hodel did all these horrible things, probably raped his daughter, probably killed Ruth, probably killed Elizabeth Short, probably killed a dozen other women, they left him alone. But this guy's smart. He didn't want any things coming up and biting him later. He didn't want to be looking over his shoulder. So he decided to get out of Dodge anyway. Right. And he left everything behind. He left his famous friends, his huge house. And remember, he was above the law and he leaves. He gets about as far away from L.A. as you possibly can. First to Hawaii, and then he moved to the Philippines. And George Hodel died in 1999. And while he's surely dead, he left clues behind and left behind people who could speak the truth. So we've gone over George Hodel. We've talked about Steve Hodel. We've talked about Tamar Hodel. But the person who really, who essentially brought Rasha and Yvette to us and brought this story to the forefront, to the spotlight, is Rasha and Yvette's mother, Fauna, who always had her own story to tell. My mom was given away at birth under mysterious circumstances. Uh, She was raised in a black household because on her birth certificate, it said that her father was Negro. So, of course, back then, she was given to a black family. Oh, gosh. I always say my mom was 15 when she had me, but she actually had me on her sweet 16, but it was six days after her birthday. So um, I've I've been with my mom since she was a child, child raising a child, basically. And as Fauna was growing up and she was raising her two daughters, she had this curiosity and this desire to track down her birth mother. Because she realized that she was adopted and that she didn't look like she was biracial. So she ended up following the path and found her birth mother, Tamar Hodel. And as Fauna Hodel grew up, she learned the truth about her race and who her family was. Tamar was candid about what had happened to her and what had happened to the family. And that led Fauna Hodel on a lifelong mission to dig for the truth and share this story with the world. Fauna recorded many conversations with Tamar that detailed the abuse. And those tapes fell into the hands of the daughters, Yvette and Rasha, our first degrees, who played these recordings in Cadence 13's Root of Evil podcast. And it was Fauna's story that inspired TNT's series, I Am the Night, directed by Patty Jenkins. Our mom was always on this mission to tell her life story always. So she was almost completely she was driven. obsessed she was... and driven with that. And, you know, we lost her to breast cancer at the end of 2017. And um, it was quick. It was like a year and a half. Like, I mean, it feels like it was five minutes ago that she passed, you know, because it's like literally after she died, you know, six weeks later, we were on the set of I Am The Night making her life dream come to life. Yeah. And then we were approached by TNT to do Root of Evil. And that's how that all evolved. So we've literally been going nonstop since she passed. And that was September 30th, 2017. So yeah. she was still alive when you guys actually got 
word that you were. So she knew she that knew. her story was she going knew. to be. She signed the she final knew. for the final contract oh, with nice. TNT, and her and Patty Jenkins had been wanting to make this for, for ten years. Yeah. So she signed the final contract eleven days before she died. So she knew. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's so wonderful for her though, because that was her life's mission, her and life. oh, yeah. she, she knew that even though she was passing, it would end up. Her story would end up being oh, yeah. told. Yeah. And she, she knew that her girls would carry on her legacy. Yeah, yeah. she arranged everything, and she read the pilot. She knew the direction it was mm-hmm. going. She knew I am the night was just going to be inspired by her life. Right. She didn't know Root of Evil was coming, but I know that. Like, she, I think she knew. I, and I think that's why the, your podcast was so good and so powerful is that you were able to make that bridge right between yeah. the two stories you were right. able to, yeah. to to go in and say all right there's the story of this pardon the term this fucked up family yeah. more fucked up than anybody's you know yeah you know and then but then you've also got this this uh with the biggest mystery in american history here and then those are going to merge together and that's what you right. guys were able to do with that yeah so by now, at this point in the episode, we're well aware that George Hodel went on trial for the incest and rape of Tamar. So the assumption here is that, yes, there was abuse and there was rape, all of that happening. So one of the big questions that exists when you hear this story is who was Fauna's father? Right before mom was about to pass, we oh. asked her so, the question. Yeah, we asked mom do you think George was actually your biological father? And again, knowing that our mom was the most positive person on the planet, she never wanted to say that out loud. Two days before she died, she said, I absolutely believe George was my father. I didn't realize until we did Root of Evil because our uncle Love, and Love's only seven years older than me. We were raised more like siblings, but he said that if, you know, a little bit before Tamar died, she said out loud, she believed that George was our mom's father. And, and for me growing up, like, I never believed that. Like, I didn't want that to enter my psyche at all. Like, I, I totally deny, that. deny. That's not possible. This the most beautiful, positive person on the planet could not be a product of incest. No. Yeah. But Rasha. I always thought that, especially because I was always in Tamara's face, like asking her the questions like, so like, because she would always change the story. Like one, you know, she, to some parts of or people in the family, she'd say it was some Italian guy that got her drunk and raped her to other people. She'd say she was gang raped. Like, so she, her stories would change. And then when I would bold face, like asked her to her face, like up in, you know, until, you know probably like five or six years before she died, she'd never give me a direct answer. And that was with you because with me, with, with me she always gave me the same story. He was some Italian playboy in San yeah. Francisco who got me drunk and took advantage of me. And I lied on but, the first But I thought that was, yeah. I always thought that was very strange because someone who was such an amazing storyteller and who could remember such detail, like she couldn't remember this guy's yeah. name. Yeah. It's like, you know, We've dealt with this our entire life. We we know who we are. We know who our mother was. Yeah. That's not going to change who we are. That beautiful light was. that brought yeah. us into this life. To come from where she came from, she was the most positive, most kind. I mean, she was she she was an <laughs> angel. She really yeah, was. and she was like that in life, and she was just the polar opposite of everything that she came from. Now we've explained the house that George Hodel lived in, the Franklet house or the Souden house, whatever you want to call it, was a central figure in this massive story. 
And Rasha, Yvette, and their mom, Fauna, each had the opportunity to visit the house. We went in, we knocked on the door, and uh, my mom introduced herself, saying, you know, that her great, her grandfather was one of the first owners in this house, and if she could come in, and she so graciously let us come in, and she gave us, like, a tour of the house, and then she took us to the basement. I lost my shit. <laughs> so mom, mom, my mom was standing next to me, and... We were just, we were, she was showing us, I don't even, she was showing us around and I could feel the energy. I mean, it was so heavy. Like I started crying. I went into an, um, an anxiety attack, kind of like hyperventilating. And then my mom dropped to her knees and she started like praying. And I don't even know what the hell she was saying. It was so intense. And, and you know, and finally we went out, but you just knew with every being of your body that somebody died down here in this basement. It was, it was the eeriest feeling I had ever had in my entire life. And it's weird too, because when you're in the Southern house, like in the middle of it, like it's all open aired in the middle. So it looks like it's like just this, you can tell like lots of shit had gone down there. At times there's been a pool and at times it's been grass. I think when he lived there, it was just land. just know that like when I was having that outer body experience, like you feel like snuff films were done there like you just feel like all kind of insanely evil shit was happening in that house and when you were feeling that were you were you thinking this is where oh yeah short died this is i was thinking this is where my great-grandfather george hodell killed the black dahlia With a case this old, layered in stranger than fiction, there are always going to be conflicting views on who the true killer of Elizabeth Short was. But Stephen Kay, a veteran LA deputy DA, said the following to Newsweek when asked about Steve Hodell's investigation into his father. And Stephen Kay said, I believe Steve Hodell has solved the case. And I think that is something. You know, if one of the DAs who are sure. most versed in this says that, it's something. Another thing, too, is that uh, Steve was shown some very, very private DA files that still exist to this day. And by then, George Hodel was one of only 22 suspects, period. So if there's only 22 and he's one of them and there's this much evidence, you know, we'll... I'm not sure this is a provable case. No, Mm-mm. I don't think this it's is a, a ca- circumstantial case. And it looks really good for it, George Hodel. It looks really good. I like him a lot for this case. I, I, I couldn't go to trial with it. No. You know what I mean? There's just not enough. No there. one can. Yeah. No one can. But it does make you wonder like, where is the cement bag with that blood drop? Like, where is this? Like what happened to all the fucking evidence? You know, it, it's an age old tale. Evidence mm-hmm. gets lost all the time. Well, and you said it yourself. I mean, the corrupt nature of the yeah. 1940s and 50s. Yeah, they they might have just junked it. It was gone yeah. by the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't do him any good. Nope. nope. What do you think the most compelling evidence that he did kill Elizabeth Short is? I think it's what you, you what you read and the concrete, the you tapes. know, the, the tapes, the receipts, the when his house was bugged and the things that he said and did. I mean, and just things, if you think about just the degrading of his own child, of his own daughter, mm-hmm. like that's going to lead. I mean, that's all led to the killing of Elizabeth Short and his secretary. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I have to say too, like something that didn't make the podcast. Cause it was actually 
it was a gift that was given to us after we did Root of Evil. So our theme song, Star Dream Girl, is from oh David Lynch, my right? God. For those of you who aren't familiar, David Lynch is a very famous filmmaker, TV director, and composer. And on one particular day, Rasha and Yvette's Root of Evil producer called them and said, and he's like, are you guys available in five minutes? David Lynch, David wants, Lynch to wants to talk, talk to you, you on the phone. Like, oh, We're like, oh, I'm like, okay, okay. I'm like, what? All right. And then, and we got to talk to David Lynch oh my God. for like 20 minutes. And he shared a story. And with he us. was fascinated with the, yeah. With the whole Dell story. Yeah. And honestly, his, his evidence is the most compelling for me. Like, and I know one day he'll probably tell this story and he was just imagine David Lynch's voice, like telling you on the phone, like you just kind of like were listening to him and he was saying, and I, I have notes at home. I don't remember the specific names, but he was given a lot of access to LAPD because I think he was like going to do something on the black Dahlia or and something. And he had a friend or a something. A friend, a yeah. detective that was one of the head detectives of, you know, that was, had the black Dahlia case. And so he got to see all the evidence. And, um, you know, he saw photos, he did all these things and he's like, huh, trying to figure out if George was the killer and all this, this is years and years and years ago. And then he was, it was it Moose and Frank's Musso and Frank's. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Alexis. And he was sitting, sitting, you know, across from this detective, this detective is about to, to retire. And he, he slides a photo to David and he's like, look at this photo. And it was the scene of where Elizabeth Short's her body. body was found on Franklin Avenue. And it was a black and white photograph. And David kept was staring at it for like 15 minutes. And this is what he was describing to us. And he's like, it was so beautiful. And, you know, it was like the moonlight and the, all this. And it was just gorgeous. But he was like, what am I, what am I, what am, what I, am looking I looking at? for? What am I you looking know? for? And like the, I, the detective just up and like left, like disappointed that David didn't see it. Wasn't see, yeah. And then David's like, her body was discovered in daylight and that photo, photo was, was taken, taken at, at night. night. So that had to have been taken by the killer. And they yeah. don't, he doesn't even know where that photo was found. Like, like all this crazy. And I was just like, what the fuck? I know. But he said it was like a pristine, gorgeous, beautiful photo. Oh, really? Oh yeah. Like he was like, it was a piece of art. Oh, we were so they were like, then it was away. Man Ray and George. Right. And like, it was all, and like, I have chicken skin just thinking about it right now. And I was like, got chills too. was that photograph sent somewhere? It was sent. It must've been sent to that detective right before he did retired. And he, and he didn't give it to David. He yeah, just no, showed he David just showed and right. David only realized it. Like, I think it was like the next day. He I was think, like, oh. I think it was days later right. that it dawned on him. Like, like holy oh my shit. God. And then so he didn't it, have the photograph to look back no. at. No. So, was it, no. it was, so what we're saying is that it was a different photograph than we've seen. Yes. The scene, so we see the photograph during the day. It was in the morning. Uh, actually, probably by the time they got there, it was probably late morning. Right. So it was sunlight. Um, it was, there was sunlight right. in there. Yeah. But when David Lynch, filmmaker, he knows more about light, light and darkness than, 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 yes. than he was anybody like, that else. He was taken at night. He's like, that's moonlight. That's this. That's that. And then he realized the next day, holy shit, this yeah. was taken by the killer. Fauna succeeded in having her life story be told to the masses. And through her story... The memory of the victims in this case is kept alive. It's like mom was always about honoring Elizabeth's life and honoring all the victims that George affected, including Tamar. She wanted, you know, the victims to be remembered. She didn't want George to be remembered, you know, and it's like I feel like karma has kind of taken care of things, like especially with with Root of Evil and I Am the Night, like whether or not the actual murder is ever truly, truly like LAPD solved. George Hodel will forever be 
known as the number one suspect and the you know possible killer of Elizabeth Short and the Black Dahlia. All right, a huge thank you to Rosh and Yvette for being our first reconnection for two weeks straight. Uh, we loved, loved, loved hearing your story. And they were just the most wonderful guests that we could ever ask so for. So awesome. We yeah. are going to be your besties. We love you guys so much. I know. Much. Now we're in a text We have the best time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, if you guys have a story you'd like to tell, please email us. Hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at thefirstdegree. At Alexis Linkletter. At Jack Vanek. At Billy Jensen. Join our secret Facebook group by searching The First Degree in the search bar. Get some merch. And stick around for Killing Time because the girls are staying with us. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close but not, not that, that close, close. Disaster, day. disaster day sources for today's episode include the black dolly avenger the la times curbed newsweek the root of evil podcast the la examiner court documents and as always our first degree guests are always our largest source Okay, welcome to a very special episode of Killing Time. We still have Rasha and Yvette with us. And I have to say, you girls are fucking cool. Aww, we think the same thing about you. Like, I don't know what I was expecting. I obviously listened to the whole podcast. I've heard you guys talk a lot, a lot. (laughs) But... I don't know. I feel like we all like are vibing. Yes. <laughs> I agree. Totally I agree too. Like we need to be friends sound, in real life. Well, it's just like a very serious side of you guys on the podcast because it's serious subject matter. So, but in real life, you guys are just bomb. Aww. Yeah. You Thank showed you. up wearing the most fashionable shit. <laughs> oh my God. Ever. My sister dresses me. <laughs> Zara and West Coast leather. <laughs> and <Inda>. Shout out. <laughs> Um, do we want to talk about why you guys are here? Sure. Yes. You're nominated for the iHeartRadio Podcast Awards for Best True Crime Podcast of the Year. And who yes. are you against? Crime junkies. Lots of I don't know. The shrink next door. Shrink next door. Man, I think man in the window. Yeah, man, man, man in the window. Man in the, and then I'm forgetting somebody though. I don't remember. Yeah. I you, like we don't need to talk about that. Yeah, okay. and we will yes. already, everybody listening to this will, will already, we'll already know, know who, won, who won, which would be us. But <laughs> no. Yeah, it'll yeah. be you guys. Do you guys listen to True Crime Podcasts or are you obviously like stumbled into this situation? So, stumbled into it. I do not listen to True Crime Podcasts. <laughs> well, but she has. But I have since, you know, our podcast I came mean, hello, out. we listen to the first degree, duh. Yes. Uh, as you should. Duh. Yes. But we had never listened to True Crime Podcasts or podcasts in general until we started hosting one. Yeah. And then we dove in. Were you guys drawn to true crime though? Just be- given your family? No, no, no. Like it wasn't in the DNA. Well, for me, like I loved true crime in the sense of watching suspense thrillers. And she was like Disney. Like she doesn't yeah. like anything. And Harry Potter. Right. Scary. Yep. <laughs> wait, wait, what house are you? Oh, Do you know? <laughs> me too, girl. You? Oh, get it. Oh, yes. <laughs> I had a moment where I thought I was Ravenclaw. Like I was convinced recently. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to read okay too. I'm going to read. I'm like, I'm too, um, what's the word? Not conniving is the wrong word, but like I'm too, <laughs> 
crafty, crafty to be a Gryffindor. So I had to take the test and I did the whole thing. And it's just so far in Gryffindor. That I know. I'm like, Same. I Same. love it. I, I took a, a bunch of tests, including the, the official test on Pottermore. And I was Ravenclaw over and over and over really? again. Then Pottermore said, we have a new test. And, and then, then I took it and I was Slytherin. <gasps> I can Ooh. see you being a Slytherin. That just gave me chicken skin. Yeah. Billy. I'm a Slytherin. Oh, yeah. I still love you. It's okay. She is, she is like the epitome of a Slytherin. <laughs> well, well, maybe I need to take this new test. What if I'm not? What if I'm like a Jigglypuff or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> That's from the Pokemon okay, yeah. universe, but oh okay. <laughs> Jigglypuffs and Hufflepuffs are kind of the same yeah. thing anyway. So. I, really I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> what would I be? But do you know I what a Jigglypuff is? I would be. I, would I be Jigglypuff? No, no, it's a Pokemon. no clue what any of it is. She doesn't like a very round boy Pokemon. I watched Pokemon when I was little. All right, so. So you guys are going to the uh, the iHeartRadio Awards. This is like an actual award ceremony. Yeah, yes. like the podcast. Yes, award. It's a second bank. annual. So I guess last year was just the first year. Right. And yeah. is this is this a dress up event? Oh yeah, it's it black is. ties. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Is. Actually, we need your help. Yes. Like, okay. <laughs> this is the moment to choose from. Okay. Yeah, okay. This is the Can't moment decide. we've been waiting for. Yeah. So I am wearing a suit and tie as the femme fabulous lesbian that I am. So she's all set. I'm all set. <laughs> and all we've set. convinced you for a red. Red lip, right? Red lip. Okay. Yes, a bold red lip. Yes. But my gorgeous, beautiful sister Aww. is the most indecisive person on the planet. I am not indecisive, but yes, when it is. comes to fashion, when I try things on, I fall in love. So it's like I don't know which one to pick. And she's her so own worst critic. Have, I need help. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, so which one do you want me to show them first? Um, show them the jumpsuit. Okay. So there's Oh, I already like it. <laughs> I mean I'm a jumpsuit gal. Okay. Me too. Oh, red's okay. my power color. Yellow jumpsuit all day long. So red jumpsuit. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yep. Okay, and, Billy. Uh-huh. Oh hell yeah. Okay, I'm gonna yep. describe this. It's a strapless yes. <laughs> red jumpsuit with a little tie at the waist and a tight leg and, and it pockets. Is yeah. Chic and pockets. pockets. And oh, that's amazing. And, and I love the, I love the bag. I love the shoes. And it was too. rent the runway. It was okay, Rent the that. Runway. My friend is a stylist in San Francisco, and she pulled these. I'd never done Rent the Runway. It's great. Yes. It's not an ad. This no. Is a, yeah, yeah, no. It's not, not a paid no, endorsement. No, no. But it can be. I know. <laughs> rent the Runway. <laughs> so and the then, next one is old Hollywood classic. Very Ooh, body like conscious. I love it. Girl, Orange. your curve. Like you look amazing. Oh wow, I, that might be my yeah. <laughs> men. But I have yeah. to hold. You know, I'm gonna be. You know, I'm holding in the tummy all right. night. Mm-hmm. No carbs for her. No carbs. I'm not eating. Is anybody theme. asking you to? Have you ever thought to go noir? Oh. Oh yeah. Given the situation. Given the situation. Given the. Yeah. You're like, no? That might Awkward. be a little too... <laughs> might be too on the nose. a little bit too, too late. Too on the nose. Maybe too on the nose. Yeah. What? Like a big like white dahlia in your hair? No. No, <laughs> no. 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 no Bad taste. No, like we can't no. do that. Um, anywho. So, so no. the last one is a friend of mine who is uh, a stylist as well. And this is by a, de- a great designer called Juan Carlos uh, Abando. And it's very flowing and beautiful. Oh, I love that. It's too. like a peasant dress. It's sort of it's off the shoulder, yeah. slid up the it's sort the of leg. like Grecian but black. Yeah, right. I remember mm-hmm. she's next to me in my black and white suit and tie. Oh. All right, so I'm is good. that too black? <laughs> yeah, too, too black. I black? my vote is a red jumpsuit. Red jumpsuit. My vote's the jumpsuit too. Okay, we got two. Billy. Billy. My vote is the. Uh, the second one, the, uh, the, the bodycon dress. Coming from two fashionable women, we yeah. pick the jumpsuit. Coming from a man, 
it's obviously the tight right, tight, right. tight, tight and rush's wife i know but like, she's hello, like hello and i'm like don't look at my well, sister like red, that but the red one has <laughs> the same perks as the orange work because it's tight too yeah, and it's also right. no it's it true does, it does a lot for you yeah it and, it, and it's got pockets and it's does the orange one have pockets too, right Orange does not have no, pockets. There's no pockets. And you know, in Golden Globes, pockets were the thing on the red carpet. And yeah. if oh, you're I wearing know. a red dress and you do a red lip, yes. we might have a really good situation on mm-hmm. our hands. Yeah. And we would compliment one another. Oh. And actually look a little bit like sisters because we look so much alike. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like we're related. We do I swear. Look you guys have some, yeah, you guys do we look alike in some ways. And yeah. a smile. Aww. And we sound a lot alike. You yeah. guys are and really cute. Too. And when our mom was alive, you could totally tell yeah. that we were sisters because you could you could see her and then yeah well, then you, you would look at you guys yeah. and then be like yeah i guess yeah. different yeah. sperm donors that's yeah all. yeah <laughs> seriously and that's all we really that's at all. the end of the I day mean, that's all we really are i mean that sincerely they're so dumb. Present so company excluded. So, no, 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 Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. Oh, that's cute. For me. After my dog. Because dogs are supposed to reflect who you are as a person. Okay, so you have a Boston Terrier. (laughs) I do. And you told me this as I was like walking out of the room. I had a pug growing up. Hmm. So I am forever obsessed with smushy face dogs. And then I feel like I have special connections with people that have them. Absolutely. Because it's a different. we know. It's a different. You know. Yeah. But I have a chihuahua. What does that say? You don't know. (laughs) You and Margaret Cho have a <laughs> That's right. We're just in our separate corners. Yeah, you go um, with Margaret. I with Jack. We're fine. Yeah. Like, oh Wait, and God. so Stitch is eighteen. Did you no, say? he's fourteen. Oh, oh, I was like, he's the oldest dog Cause, ever. Because he is the only. Like I was saying earlier, he's the only thing that I got out of my first marriage before I realized I was a lesbian. I was married to a guy, and we got a little dog named Stitch. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I gave my ex-husband the house, and I took Stitch, and now it's he's fine. fourteen. It's fine. Yeah. No. Totally you don't fine. need that a house if you can keep the dog. I mean, I'm just saying. I offered to share the dog on that on that deal right yeah i yeah. offered to share him and he's like no it'd be too hard to see you i'm like okay i get it no nobody should be co-parenting dogs when they break up i know of course i've heard i have a, a big problem with that I it's right. not a kid you can get another dog you'll be fine oh, i've been there yeah she yeah, almost wanted to do it in her last relationship but i was like alexis no no, no give no. him the dog Just give him cut, no. give... cut ties and i did yeah. because yours was to maybe try to see him again no i didn't oh. want to see him again I never talked to him again after we broke up. No, I know, but the dog. Never mind. (laughs) I love that dog. She had like a mini husky that turned out to not be a mini husky. I got a real husky. It got big. Oh, it was supposed to be a small guy. But I was like, okay, you can keep it. It's too big for me now. (laughs) Okay, well, I think we killed enough time. Um, Still haven't come up with like an an outro for this. Razzle dazzle, that's showbiz, baby. Don't be fooled by the razzle dazzle. Don't be fooled by the razzle dazzle. Baby. Don't be fooled by the razzle dazzle. Baby. Baby. Gotta add the baby. baby. <laughs> <laughs>